Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, April 2nd. I'm Desiree Frazier for Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the presiding officers of the House and Senate recap the legislative session. Then how a failure to extend Medicaid postpartum health care to 12 months impacts mothers and children in Mississippi, which has the highest infant mortality rate in the nation. Plus, on the eve of local primaries, we examine the significance of municipal elections. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Magnolia State is closing the books on the 2021 legislative session. Lawmakers adjourned sine die yesterday after months of debate over topics like health care, state budgets, and tax reform. Leaders from both chambers met with members of the press to recap the session. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman says this year's investment in broadband infrastructure is going to help push Mississippi forward. We again expanded broadband this year. And I thought that was just uh, unnecessary. Last year, as you remember, we put up about 65 to 70 million. The co-ops matched that. We got approximately 4,000 miles of cable uh, in Mississippi, late in Mississippi, that is now providing broadband to thousands of children that did not have it before. It is a key to the future to me. Uh, You should anticipate we will continue to push that as part of the American Rescue Act. We get about $166 million that will be targeted for continued expansion of broadband in Mississippi. In addition to that, we worked with Mississippi Power Company and Entergy this year to allow their dark fiber, the part of the fiber they're not utilizing, to to start their various uh, electrical uh, uh, stations. Uh, that was not being used by them will now be able to be leased uh, to the uh, highest bidder. We're uh, really excited about that. That will provide broadband to rural areas that really would never have seen it before. 
every dollar of the rent we provided in the in the plan, every dollar of the rent will be utilized to reduce ratepayers' taxes. So there's no overhead in there or anything else. If they lease it for $100 or whatever the amount may be, $100 goes to reduce the ratepayers' uh, amount they pay each year. Very proud of that. That is a future for Mississippi. That's something that we've emphasized, something you'll continue to emphasize. Hoseman, who entered the session with a teacher pay raise at the top of his priority list, says he is pleased with the legislature's commitment to education. Education had its best year since, um, probably since William Winter. Um, we, uh, we provided teacher pay raises uh, this year, assistance raises this year. Uh, we provided over $35 million from the uh, additional funds that were generated from the lottery. But in addition to the steps that we're making by Senator DeBar and, our, and the Education Committee on, on the Senate side, in addition to those steps, uh, education received $1.6 billion from the Rescue Act. Higher education got another 400 and something million dollars from the Rescue Act. So in addition to the steps that we're making, just giant steps forward, I thought, on education for Mississippi, including the teacher pay raise before we ever knew there was going to be a Rescue Act, uh, we did that. There's about $8 million in there for classroom supplies. Our teachers, many of them, are using their own personal funds uh, to provide everything from crayons to uh, work paper for their students. Uh, $8 million is very important to them. We doubled their early childhood. Now, I, I have emphasized to you before, um, the best economic engine we have in Mississippi is the mind of a child. That's what's most important. When we take that child from pre-K up through 18, 21 years old, their education time, we take that child, we have an economic engine in Mississippi for the next 50 years. For the next half a century, they will prosper. They will be your leaders, they'll be your mayors, your aldermen, your businessmen and women. All of that comes out of education. Leadership in the House, increased investment in public education. Speaker Philip Gunn says the K-12 budget increased by 3 percent, with significant funds added to early learning collaboratives and classroom supplies. Education in general, we gave almost 3 percent more there. We were able to do that. Uh, $25 million in additional educational programs. We, we did the early learning collaboratives, an increase of about $8 million on the early learning collaborative, which takes them to $16 million, basically doubled the amount we put into the early learning collaboratives. Uh, the teacher supply fund, we increased to $20 million. Now, it is my memory, and y'all may have to check me on this, but it is my memory that that fund is supposed to be about $24 million. And uh, about, about before the Republicans took over down here, that fund had been dwindled down to, I want to say, $4 million. It was the practice of, seems to be the practice of the previous administration to take money from that fund and put it into MAP. We have worked to make sure that that fund has been restored. Uh, we, we doubled it over the last few years to $12 million, and this year we got it up to $20 million. And I think the cap is around twenty-four. So we're doing great work there trying to restore those teacher supply funds. We were able to do that today or this year. 
But one of the speaker's key policy goals did fall short this session. In February, Gunn introduced the Mississippi Tax Freedom Act, which, among other things, would eliminate the personal income tax while raising sales and use taxes. The bill passed the House but didn't make it out of the Senate. Gunn says tax reform remains a top priority. That is something we feel very strongly about here in the House of Representatives. For me, it is the number one issue. I've said it repeatedly, and I'll say it again. I don't know of any policy item we as a legislature could ever do that will benefit the people more or result in greater economic prosperity in our state than the elimination of the income tax. That is an effort that we're going to continue to work on throughout the summer. We're going to be more vigilant to try to make sure that we can get get support on the Senate end for this. The plan that we brought forward received substantial support in the House, bipartisan support. I had almost 90 votes for that bill. It's been out there for about a month and a half, and there have been a lot of attempts to try to throw rocks at it, and uh, the only objections that we find are not policy-related. They're either political in nature or they come from those who have a self-serving interest. So uh, I think the policy that we passed is a solid one. We will uh, continue to try to address whatever concerns arise out of that or answer those questions, but that will be the number one issue. I don't know that, that there's anything moving forward that's more impactful than that. So uh, we were disappointed that, that plan did not pass again. Don't know that we received any policy reason as to why it was bad. We're going to continue to try to address those concerns, and that will be the number one issue for us moving forward next year. Other legislation already signed into law by Governor Tate Reeves includes the Mississippi Fairness Act, which bans transgender females from competing in sports based on their identified gender, and a new law providing universal recognition of occupational licenses. Coming up, how a failure to extend Medicaid postpartum health care to 12 months impacts mothers and children in Mississippi, which has the highest infant mortality rate in the nation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A Mississippi advocate promoting maternal health is disheartened. A provision to extend Medicaid postpartum care to 12 months failed to pass the legislature. Nikita Burse, who operates a public health research and development company, has faced personal loss when it comes to the lack of postpartum care in the state. Several women in her family died after giving birth. She says a legislative mortality review committee recommended in 2019 to expand Medicaid postpartum care to at least 12 months. But now she worries the failure to extend that period will keep Mississippi at the bottom of the list for infant and mortality, maternal mortality. It means there's no change in what's already happened. The numbers that we see black women dying at these much higher rates, that's going to continue to happen if we don't expand Medicaid, especially to that 12-month postpartum period. 
national guidelines say that that fourth trimester is just as critical as all other trimesters. And so when you look at our Mississippi Maternal Mortality Review report from 2019, I think about 37% of those mothers died beyond that six-week period. And so now how many of those had access to care? I'm not sure, but what if they had better access to care? Because if I'm a mother in Mississippi and I fall off at six weeks and I have um, blurred vision and a headache, I may just lay down instead of going to my primary care if I don't have access to insurance because that payment will be a burden to me. And so how many areas did we miss without expanding Medicaid or without expanding opportunities for mothers to have access to mental health services or substance use services? So when we don't expand, mothers don't have access to the basic medical care that they need um, to just survive. That postpartum period is, is extremely delicate. Even 12 months out. Even 12 months out. It's considered a maternal death if up to 12 months postpartum. Why is that year after so critical? Well, we talk about, you know, healthy babies, healthy mothers, if or, or healthy babies and, you know, creating a generation of healthy children. We can't have that if they don't have their mothers around to care for them. And the impact of maternal death is generational. Just like my mom, for instance, she became a new mom at 40 years old. And so now, you know, she's raising a 17-year-old child. My mother-in-law retired but had to have a newborn. So there's a generational impact in that 12-month period, when you think about it, um, it your body, it takes your body that long to recover. And when you think about postpartum depression, being a new mom, having other physical ailments that may have uh, presented before or during the pregnancy, you still have to deal with those. Whether a mom was diabetic, she still has to deal with diabetes after pregnancy. Um, if, you know, she had diabetes before, if she had hypertension before pregnancy, she's still dealing with hypertension after pregnancy. And it just may be exacerbated in that postpartum period because your body goes through many different things. Do you know where Mississippi ranks on maternal mortality? Well, maternal deaths in Mississippi, I think our rate in the last report was uh, 33 per 1,000 live births, which was much higher than the national average. And when you look at drill that down to black mothers, it was much higher than white women. And infant mortality in Mississippi is very high. Highest in the nation. Does maternal mortality impact infant mortality in any way? Maternal health impacts infant mortality. So... When, if you look at my sister, for example, with a severe case of preeclampsia that onset at 24 weeks, the baby does not have an opportunity for their lungs to grow and to get the development that they need to go to full term. I mean, though babies are, you know, UMC does a great job of caring for babies. But when you look at those very, very preterm births, the chances of survival, of survival get lower and lower the earlier that they're delivered. And so if mom isn't healthy, that 
directly impacts um, the baby's outcome. And your thoughts about this legislation not being passed this year? It's very disheartening. Um, We know what the issue is. There's plenty of data. And I think what's more disheartening for me is that the Mississippi Maternal Mortality Review Committee was a legislative mandate in 2017. The recommendations that came out in 2019 for policies were to expand Medicaid at least to that 12-month postpartum period. So this whole committee takes the time to review these maternal deaths, and that's, that's heavy work to review these maternal deaths, determine what happened, and then provide uh, recommendations to address this very issue, and it's stripped away. And when you look at the numbers, the inequities, and when you look at black women and how uh, black women are treated in this country, it, it feels exactly like a shot to black women. It feels like, you know, just overt racism. Extending Medicaid to that 12-month postpartum period saves lives. We know that it saves lives, and that's just a, a shot at black women and women in general to me. Nikita Burst, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about this important issue and sharing your own personal experience. Thank you, and thank you for speaking with me today. Coming up on the eve of local primaries, we examine the significance of municipal elections. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, Each week, we talk about ways that you can maintain a healthy lifestyle. You can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your favorite podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Primaries for municipal elections in the Magnolia State are around the corner. Tomorrow is the last day for in-person absentee voting for city offices throughout Mississippi. That's ahead of Tuesday's official primary day. Municipal government is the most localized form of government in the state. Sherry Vise is executive director of the Mississippi Municipal League. She breaks down the various local offices and the importance of municipal elections. It's going to be the local governing body, which, depending on the form of government, will be the mayor and aldermen, which that's 95 percent of our cities are in that form of government. But it also could be uh, mayor and a council form or selectmen. So um, there's a mayor and then there's a governing board, either a council or a board of aldermen or a commission. And those are the those are the positions that are about to have to be elected. Now, I will say this. We have uh, a handful of cities, probably 20 or so, that are considered special code charter cities, which means that they existed prior to the adoption of the 1892 
constitution. And so they were allowed, if they wanted to, to leave, to, to stay in that form of government, they could, which that just basically means that they can have their elections on a different schedule. So we may have some of those that aren't um, doing elections in June. They might do them on every, uh, in, a, in the next year. But they're just able to do that because they were organized and given a charter as a city before our current constitution was adopted. Can you give us an idea of what the duties are for the elected offices you mentioned? Well, um, mainly for uh, 95% of our cities, which are mayor alderman form, um, the, the board is the is really more of the governing authority as far as voting and approving. The mayor has superintending control of the city, basically meaning he makes sure that he or she makes sure the ordinances are. Uh, that the board approves are put in place and enforced. Uh, he makes sure department heads know their roles and responsibilities. But the mayor doesn't have a vote unless there's a tie. So really most of the power lies with the individual aldermen. And depending on the size of the city, there could be three aldermen for cities under 500. There could be up to seven for the larger cities, and they each represent a ward. And then some cities have a, an alderman at large. But... We call that the weak mayor form of government because mainly um, the, the aldermen approve everything, um, and the mayor only votes if there's a tie. Municipal elections are seldom attention getters for most people. Why should Mississippians pay attention to local elections in their communities? Well, I think it's an overused expression probably, but municipal government is the government closest to the people. Um, you know, if you live in a city... Um, you're you're going to have probably the most contact with local elected officials, and you know you can attend meetings when they're um, when they have a meeting. Your voice is easier, a little easier for your voice to be heard at the local level. Uh, and I think most people are more informed about what goes on at the local level. So it's it's where the rubber meets the road, and so you really should pay attention to your local elections and make sure you turn out to vote because that that form of government probably has the most immediate impact on your everyday life. The general election is June 8th. Do you anticipate a good turnout? Um, I think we I think we might see a better turnout. I think that, if anything, I think more people over the last year with the pandemic have, have probably paid greater attention to their local uh, elected officials because so many of the mandates emergency orders that were issued by the governor and even separate emergency orders issued by the city had such an impact on our lives. So if anything, I think we might see a greater turnout uh, this year, and I certainly hope that we do. But I think that over the last year, I think people may understand better the importance of their local officials because they've been on the front lines of trying to get information out, trying to protect people during the pandemic, trying to make testing available, trying to promote uh, vaccinations. So I'm hoping that there might be more of an appreciation for how important your municipal officials are in your life. We are seeing that some municipal workers, few but some, are being investigated by the state auditor and arrested for embezzling money. Should local elected officials bear some responsibility when this happens? Well, um, you know, we do see that too. And I think when you look at the total number of cities and the total number of elected officials, you're not going to see a high percentage of people doing that. But we do believe when that's being done, when when 
funds are being misused, that they should be held accountable. Um, and I think one of the things we do is we do a lot of training and we specifically involve the Office of the State Auditor in those trainings because we want to make sure that they understand what their responsibilities are, the importance of being bonded, um, just the importance of making sure you, you've got the right person in the right job, particularly if that person is responsible for handling funds, uh, and that, that you know you make sure there's some accountability processes in place to make sure those jobs are being done correctly and that there's no um, misuse of funds. And do you think the pandemic and the politicalization of wearing masks uh, wore some elected officials officials down? Oh, I definitely do. Um, you know, it's been just a it, it's been a difficult year for everybody. But when you're in an elected uh, position, whether it's at the local level or at the state level, you know, citizens are looking to you for guidance and for leadership. And it's just been such an unprecedented time with, uh, you know, us not really knowing how to respond initially. And so it has put a lot of extra stress on some of our officials. And um, I think there are some that have served for a long time that maybe picked this year to retire. And I certainly understand it. At the same time, I think there have been some people challenged by what's been going on in their community and they want to see if they can serve and, you know, make their city a better place. So I know the pandemic did have an impact on some people making their decision to retire. And so we're just looking forward to, you know, the new folks that are coming in and being able to help them and train them and support them as much as we can. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that's important to mention? Well, I just think people need to understand that um, municipal officials are doing are serving because they love their city and they love their town and they want to make it a better place. Many times you'll see, particularly in our smaller towns, that these are people that were born and raised there. Um, they want to make a difference. They want to improve things for their citizens. They're not being paid a lot of money. So, um, you know, be patient with your local officials because they're trying to make their city a better place for all citizens. And so that's just something that, that you know, you need to remember that they're in it for making their city better and their town better and their village better. Sherry Vise with the Mississippi Municipal League, we really appreciate you sharing this information with us, educating all of us on municipal elected offices. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.